I thought it would be great to announce that one of our own ministers, as some of you know him, David, uh, recently had uh, his daughter born. It was on Wednesday. Uh, the daughter's name, I need to say it properly. I know the, the other one, Chania. How, how do I say that? An- Ania. 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 Ania Chania, the two names uh, the daughter was given. Uh, so please continue to pray for David and his family, especially as they... Uh, embark on a new journey as a family. So keep them in your prayers. Um, and tonight uh, we, are, we are on our second week of our series titled Follow Me. And I would really, really encourage you to go and listen to the first talk so you can catch up on what we have been talking about. You can do that by visiting our website to see what we have been doing. And right now what I'll do is pray for us as we come to God's word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your great mercy given to us sinners, people who are far off from you, uh, whom you have now brought near. Heavenly Father, we pray that this same mercy we have experienced, that we would in turn show it to others. We pray indeed that as Rodin mentioned earlier, we would become the kind of church that is marked by a culture of disciples who make disciples. This evening as we come to sit under your word, would you speak to us through the power of your spirit? In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Did you know, now I think you guys would know this, and the reason why I think you guys would know this is because uh, I think you're smart, as I said last week. Uh, the, the other reason is, uh, is because I think you probably cried when you watched this movie. The movie is called Titanic. Uh, I know most of you probably cried. This is a fictional movie that, inspi- that is inspired by true life events. Now, did you know that the RMS Titanic had 20 lifeboats that had a capacity of 1,178 people? Now, the Titanic itself had around approximately 2,200 people. So the boat, the lifeboats, could take about half of that population if anything needed to happen. But did you know that when the lifeboats left the Titanic, the lifeboats left half empty or half full. So, so instead of the 1,178, only around 500, approximately 580 people got on the lifeboats. Now just wait and think about this. Imagine this with me. The, the people in the boat that have made their way to the lifeboat are, are thankful, they're grateful that they have now been saved from this calamity from this danger that was facing them. But for some strange reason, for some strange reason, while they are sitting there in their own safety, they don't see the urgency to rescue others who are faced with the same calamity. Perhaps as they sat there in their boats, they thought of the discomfort and difficulty they'd have to endure to be able to save the other people. And so they decided to retreat to their own comfort and safety while they watched the others being swept to their watery grave. Why reach out to save others when you yourself are safe? Now, now let me me tell you of another story. This is a story that I think you would also know about. I'll pray for uh, those involved in this story a bit later. This is a story that I think you would know about because this story has been all over the news. It's the story of a young man called Enoch Mbianza. 
So you've seen this story, the story of a school that I will not mention for this moment. I'm quite sure you guys know the story. See, there's been quite a lot of it. Although the story has been all over the news, there's been very little information that we have received. All we have heard is that there's information that has been withheld. Now, in the midst of all of this frenzy, one of the young boys decided to give a public record of what happened. He gave this public record on 94.7, and his identity has remained anonymous for his own safety. This is what the young man says. He says in less than two minutes, in less than two minutes into the waters, the stretcher that these 14-year-old boys built with limited material capsized. It became loose. And straight after that, all of them then decided to look for something. They scraped for something that they could hold on to. One of the things that they could hold on to was a, a rubber tube that was underneath the stretcher. And as soon as these boys got to this rubber tube, they decided to pedal towards safety. But one of the boys, especially this boy who tells us this story, he says he immediately noticed that Enoch was struggling. He noticed that Enoch was struggling, and despite, despite the discomfort, despite the danger, despite the difficulty this young man would have to face, to save him, the difficulty and danger that would come from the heavy current of the river, this young man decided to take a stick and reach it out to Enoch to try and save him. See, this young man realized the great danger that was about to befall Enoch. And so out of love, he decided he needs to find a way. He's compelled. There's no other thing he needs to do. He's compelled to reach out. And try and save Enoch. See, he needed to act with great urgency. Now, most of us know how that story ends. You see, our passage tonight, our passage tonight presents us with a major question. And this is the question. Will my life and your life be marked by the first scenario or the second scenario? Will we retreat to our own comfort and safety while we watch the rest of the world perish? Or will we endure great discomfort and danger because of the agency to save others from the impending judgment that is coming? Will we, like Noah, warn others and invite them to find safety in Jesus, the great ark? See, this passage tonight will present that question to us. Moreover, this, this passage tonight will also show us something else. That this mission that Jesus calls us to, the mission that Jesus calls his disciples to, the mission he sends them to, is a mission that will come with persecution and suffering. It's part of the package. It's part of the package. It's not that it might come with that. It will come with it. It will come with great discomfort and danger. But Jesus, as he speaks to his disciples, as he prepares to send them out on this mission, as he prepares to send them out to live missional lifestyles, he tells them how they can be able to endure persecution and suffering while they are on this mission. And you see, this passage today is not only intended for the disciples, but it is intended for you and me as well. And you see, as we go through this message that Jesus gives to the disciples, I have two points for us. And here are the two points. 
The first point is wise and watchful from verse 16 to 18. The second point is fearless and faithful, which will be from verse 19 to verse 23. Now, you will, um, I hope you would find great comfort in hearing that there are two points today instead of four. And right about now, what I'll do is lead us to our very first point, wise and watchful. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples from verse 16 to verse 18. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you to, to carts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Now, when you first read verse 16, you, you, you immediately think, man, I think this might be incorrectly recorded. A shepherd would never leave his sheep to the wolf. It is strange that this passage here would be here. You would think that it would say that Jesus would turn and say to his disciples, as your shepherd and as my sheep, I will keep you away from the wolves. But that's not what he says. And what we know is this passage has not been incorrectly recorded. So what is it that we are meant to learn from it? Well, it is this. For us to be wise and watchful, to understand this instruction that Jesus gives to be wise and watchful, we need to understand what is this mission that he's sending the disciples out to and what does it mean that he's sending them as sheep among the wolves. So let's start with that. Jesus is sending them out. What is he sending them out for? What is this mission? See, when you read verse 16 all the way up, all the way up to 19, and even further, you will realize that the language there is a little bit different to what you find from verse 5 to verse 15. See, in verse 5 to 15, Jesus speaks of a mission, a mission that the disciples would have or would, would go to among their Jewish brothers. See, that mission was specific. It was specific to their Jewish brothers but when you read verse 16 to 19, you see a little bit of change of language. You see a mention of Gentiles, that their mission will lead them to contact with Gentiles. And you see what this shows us here is that the mission that Jesus is sending the disciples to is not just a mission that is localized among the Jews, but it is a mission that is global. Matthew 1. In Matthew 1, Matthew uses this title to, to refer to Jesus. He says, Jesus is the son of David and son of Abraham. Last year, I preached a message from Matthew 1, where I pointed out that in this phrase, son of Abraham, Matthew is trying to show us that the mission that God has always had is the mission to bless the whole world. It is the mission to save the whole world. It is the mission to save all men from every tribe, language, and tongue who come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need to be rescued. So we see here that this mission that Jesus sends his disciples to is not just a localized mission, but it is a global mission. He sends them out to their Jewish brothers first. Now a bit later I'll explain why he does that. But let's stop there for now. That this mission he sends them out to is a global mission. A mission to take the message of God's king and God's kingdom, the king who has come as a doctor to redeem and save sin-sick people. The king who invites all men and says, Come, I have a way to be right with God. 
This mission we are meant to see is global. It's a mission that not, not only the disciples are called to, but a mission that you and I are called to as well. And as we continue to read, we see that Jesus says, as they go out on mission, they will go out as sheep among wolves. Now what you and I know about sheep is, if a sheep is without its shepherd or sheep, or sheep are without the shepherd, they're defenseless. And what, what you and I also know is how wolves treat sheep. Wolves do not treat sheep with care. They, de- they destroy them. They devour them. I heard a nursery rhyme just the other day that, that goes as follows. This is the nursery rhyme. So, so I have three kids. So I, I have times when I bump into these nursery rhymes. And this is how this one goes. Little sheep, little sheep, do you see the wolf? Where will you go? He's right behind you flying through the air. Watch the sheep run. The fun starts now. The fun has begun. Watch the wolf howl. The sheep is dead. That's what your kids are learning at preschool. That's what your kids are learning from YouTube kids. But here's the thing. Even this nursery rhyme gives us an idea of how wolves treat sheep. They don't treat them with care. And you and I get that. And you see, the point that Jesus is making here is all who oppose his message, all who oppose his kingship, will oppose those who carry his message. This is what he wants us to see, that we will be treated by the world who opposes Jesus as wolves treat sheep. See, they will take you to the cart for the gospel that you believe. Your school, your Christian school, that stands on Christian values, will be taken to court because they will say that you guys are excluding some people. Your business that stands on Christian values, you'll be taken to court because they will say you are excluding others. See, as his followers, we must expect that the world will come against us, that the world will persecute us. You and I should expect great discomfort and danger and suffering in this mission. It's part of the package. It is part of the package. And so if then this is how the world will treat us, if the world will do its best to discredit the gospel, and not only the gospel, but to also discredit Christians, uh, what are we to do? Well, this is Jesus' message to his disciples. He says they should be wise and watchful. They should be wise and watchful. They should be wise as serpents or as snakes. See, a snake at this time was a symbol of wisdom. It was a symbol of wisdom because of the ponderous and painstaking manner it approaches its prey. If you have watched National Geographic, you've probably seen this. You've seen the pose of a snake, how intelligently it waits. For its prey. It is careful. It is thoughtful. And then it, is, it strikes when it is the most effective. See, in the same way you and I are called to be intelligent, to be thoughtful, and to use every opportunity to, to reach out to others with the gospel and strike effectively. See, that message there calls us to be wise, to think creatively about how we can share the gospel with others. But what it, what it also points us to is that although you and I should expect persecution, you and I should expect great difficulty, 
This passage here shows us that you and I should not just willy-nilly throw ourselves into difficulty so that we bring this gospel into disrepute. See, he calls us to be wise, to weigh up our opportunities, and to strike effectively. Now, now let me explain what it means about being innocent as doves. Then I'll bring these two things together. The other thing Jesus calls them to is he calls them to be watchful. He calls them to be innocent and harmless as doves. He calls them to be watchful of their lives as they are on mission, to be watchful of their words, to be watchful of their deeds, to be watchful of their behavior, so that they don't give the people around them, so that they don't give men any reason to accuse them of injustice and immorality. And you see, Peter in 1 Peter comes back to quote these very words. He says, live such good lives among the pagans, among those who are not believers, so that they would not accuse you of any wrongdoing. But that at seeing your life, at seeing your good deeds, at seeing how innocent, and seeing how pure you're living your lives, they would turn and praise our God. See, this intelligence here and innocence that Jesus speaks about will ensure that we face, that when we face persecution, we never put ourselves into any difficult situation that will bring the gospel into disrepute. So, so as you share the gospel, so as you share the gospel with your friends, your family, your colleagues, and other people around you, be wise and watchful, be thoughtful and innocent. Please don't cause any unnecessary conflicts, unnecessary arguments, so that when you are rejected, you turn and say, they are rejecting me because of the message that I believe. See, see, sometimes people reject us, not because of the message we believe, but because we are not wise and watchful, because we are not innocent and thoughtful, because very often people think that we are, for lack of a better word, jerks. They think we're insensitive. They think we lack empathy. They think we're not concerned about them and their lives. And so when we present the gospel, what we want to do is give a two-minute presentation and walk away. See, we don't think carefully about how we can build bridges into these people's lives so that they are able to accept this gospel that we stand for. See, the world does not like the message of the gospel. They, they don't want to listen to the message of the gospel. They don't want Jesus as king because they see themselves or they have enthroned themselves as king in their own lives. Let's not give them any more reason to not want to listen to us as we implore them to turn to this Jesus, to turn from darkness that leads to a watery grave, to embrace the light of the gospel. See, although persecution, so though you and I should expect persecution and great comfort for the sake of the gospel, although we should embrace persecution, we should not chase it as we live out the gospel and implore men to turn to Jesus. See, with innocence and intelligence, we should navigate the waters of discomfort and difficulty to implore others, to call others to come to Jesus. See, if we are wise and watchful, we will be able to endure great difficulty 
for the sake of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon once said these words, If sinners be damned, at least least let them leap over our dead bodies. Let me read that again. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. See, brothers and sisters, there's a great danger that awaits all men who have not accepted Jesus as king. There's great judgment that awaits all men who have rejected Jesus. Oh, that we who have experienced God's mercy would in turn do our very best, despite some harm we may face, despite some discomfort we may face, to take the gospel to them. See, a choice is laid out to all of us tonight. And this is the choice. Will you choose the comfort and safety of Midrand? The security that comes from our career aspirations. Security that comes from money and material things. From education, your education and the education of your kids. Will we choose these things at the expense of seeing men perish? See, none of these things are wrong in themselves. But if you and I prioritize these things over this mission we've been called to, then we have chosen comfort and safety instead of the mission that Jesus calls us to. This is the other option then that is presented to us. We would choose to implore men, to implore them, even at our own expense, to turn to this Jesus so that they are won over to him. See, the way to navigate the waters of difficulty and danger, the way to navigate persecution is by being wise and watchful, Jesus points out to the disciples. That is our first point. Now let's move to our second point, which is titled, Fearless and Faithful. And we'll read from verse 19 all the way up to verse 23. Verse 19 reads as follows. When they deliver you, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you, how to speak, or what you will say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you would have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now I want you to see there that, so Bidele I said I'll point out to us about something about this Jesus as a great shepherd. Now what I want you to see here is that Jesus has not left his sheep. He's not left the disciples defenseless. See, Jesus is not like Israel's prophets in Ezekiel 34. Israel's prophets who are called wicked shepherds, who have decided to not look after or care for God's people, who have left left God's flock scattered 
in darkness. Jesus is not like that. So as he sends out his disciples to be missional, despite difficulty, despite persecution they would face, this is what he wants them to know. He wants them to know that they are not defenseless. He will empower them by his spirit. And that the persecution they are facing, the suffering they're facing, will eventually come to an end. It will come to an end either in their lifetime or it will come to an end with their lives. Paul points out to us that for the Christian to die is gain. So for them to die will be gain because they will be with Jesus and away from this suffering. And because of these things, Jesus then points out to them, they should be fearless and watchful. Let's, let's look at verse 19 where Jesus clearly points out to them how they should be fearless or why they should be fearless. Verse 19, I'll read the second part of it. Listen to those words. Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. So Jesus makes it clear to these disciples that as he sends them out on mission, their power, they will be empowered by God's spirit so that they are able to witness for God, so that they're able to speak for God in that moment of danger, or in that hour of danger. Now, now notice with me, this passage does not necessarily say they should not be prepared to give an account for what they believe at any time. That's not what it says. They should be prepared. Rather, the principle here is that God will empower them. And that God will not only empower them, but God will be with them even in their time of danger. He will be with them by the power of his spirit. And you see in Acts 1.8, this very idea is expanded to us. That God's spirit will be with us. It will empower us, not only in our moments of danger, but his spirit will empower us for all of life that these disciples will be empowered to take the gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to the rest of the world. They'll be empowered. Now this would have been encouraging to these guys. This would have been encouraging to the disciples. Some of them were fishermen. Last week we learned about another one who's a tax collector. So these guys would, not, would, have, been, would have not been among the elite in terms of intellect and rhetoric, and knowledge in their culture. And so to hear these words, that God will empower them to be able to witness, is something that would have given them great courage. And here, listen, the same principle stands that God will empower his followers to witness for him, to witness for him in every area of life. So, so here's a scenario. You've managed to build a good relationship with a friend, with a colleague, with a family member. You've managed to build a bridge into their life. And you've spent time, in, spent time investing yourself in God's word, studying God's word and understanding God's word. But somehow, whenever an opportunity is presented to you to share the gospel with them, somehow at that moment you cower or you move back because you worry. You worry that... Because you're unsure how they will receive this message you, you, have, you have given to them. You're unsure whether, they will, whether you will have the words to share with them. But, well, these words, although you and I are not taken to court, these words, 
in that moment apply to us as well. That in that very moment, when you have that conversation with that person, God will empower you to be able to share the gospel with that person. And so the next time you meet the person and you begin to worry about how to share the gospel with them, remember this encouraging message that God's spirit will empower you and it will empower you to share what you've experienced of God's mercy. Because that's what we do. We experience the gospel and we see it as good news. And all we need to do is tell others how we have received this good news. We don't have to come up with a great plan or try and explain every other doctrine. No, we need to simply come up and explain how we have been saved by this good news. And so at those times when you are nervous, hear this. The same empowerment that would have been given to the disciples at their time of danger is given to all the disciples because of X18 to share the gospel with others. So take courage, take heart in this. Jesus calls them to be fearless. Now, this is the other thing Jesus calls them to. He calls them to be faithful, and that is verse 21 to 23. We will not read that for this moment. See, in those verses, what Jesus calls the disciples to is to stand in him. He calls them to be faithful. Because the persecution that they will face will not only come from the world, but it will also come from their family members. It will come from those that are close to them. Brother will deliver brother over to death. So even their own family might turn against them because of this gospel message they have come to embrace. I'm sure you've heard stories of a marriage that has been rocked. Because one spouse has decided, I'm going to stand for the gospel. I'm going to be on mission. I know what God has called me to. I know that there's a world that lives in darkness that needs to hear this gospel. But because the other spouse does not believe what the the other spouse does, the other spouse perhaps turns and says, your church and what you guys believe, you're a cult. So what Jesus points out to here, us to us here is some of the persecution will come from those who are close to you, even your own spouse, even your own family, who might treat you as a stranger or as an imposter. Now, many of you have heard me sharing my own story of this, that when I came to the faith and went back home and said to my parents, this is what I've come to believe. It seemed like a strange idea. Like, why would you leave your culture, what you have always believed, to now embrace this Western culture? Some of the persecution you will face will be from those who are close to you. Now, now Christianity is not a Western culture, just to make that clear. So what Jesus wants them to know is some of the persecution will come from those who are close to them. So they should be faithful and stand. They should stand because... At the end, their persecution will be brought to an end. Now, I'll explain that a bit later as well. See, our persecution might even lead to our death. See, most of the people here, most of these disciples that Jesus spoke to became martyrs or were martyred. Peter was crucified upside down. He asked to be, to be crucified upside down because he thought he was unworthy to be crucified like Jesus was. Paul, beheaded. Andrew, 
probably crucified as well. Matthias, burnt. But it's not just the first disciples. See, see, there are many others who have followed Jesus, who have experienced the same fate. Jim Elliot, who decided to make his way to Ecuador with a friend, Peter Fleming. The man who is renowned for these words, he is no fool, he who gives what he cannot keep to gain what, which, which he cannot lose. The man who said these words lost his life on mission. And you know what his spouse did? His spouse Elizabeth and Olive, and Olive that's Pete Fleming's spouse, went back to Ecuador to share the gospel with the very same people who had killed their husbands. Because they got that. They, they got that there's a world that is in danger that needs to hear this gospel. I'm sure you've heard of the Nigerian martyrs from 2012 who were killed by the Boko Haram. I'm sure you've heard of churches being bombed and many other things. But most recently, I'm sure you've heard, like a day or two ago, of a, of a child soldier who shot a Christian student in Nigeria. Because the young man stood for the gospel and knew that the world needs to hear this message. He knew that whatever discomfort he might face is worth it to see others being won over to Jesus. See, the common denominator with all of these people is a fearless faith that is committed or was committed to see others being won over to Jesus. See, even, it meant, even if it meant this would bring them great harm and discomfort and danger. See, like that young man, they decided to reach out in order to see others being saved. Now, verse 23 alludes to the idea that sometimes persecution can get so hard that it might be better to get away from it. It alludes to that idea that sometimes persecution can get that bad. And Jesus points that out to the disciples here. But I think in our culture today, because of our constitution in our country, we have freedom of religion. There's barely any people who would say this is what happens to them. Perhaps in your company you might be mistreated because you're a Christian. But more often than not, what you hear from Christianity today, especially in South Africa, what you hear about a call is, is what is a call that sounds like a call to comfortability and safety. What you hear is, come to Jesus. Jesus will make you rich. Come to Jesus. He will help you climb the ladder of success. And you see, what you often hear of Christianity in our own country is not concerned with this mission. It is not concerned with this mission. Most of it is self-centered. People have chosen comfort and safety instead of putting their lives to see others being won over to Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost to Discipleship, says this, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Die to your own passions. Die to your own aspirations so that you will be on mission with me to see others being saved. To see others being saved from the impending judgment that is spoken about in verse 23. See, verse 23 gives out three things that we could say happens. One, verse 23 points out to us the coming of the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. 
Now, very often when we think of these events, these events for us stand as salvation, God's salvation for all people. But this event also stood as God's judgment, his judgment to the Jews who had rejected God as king, who rejected Jesus as king. If you read Matthew 11 and 12, you'll see that, that they reject Jesus as king. And so Jesus sends his disciples out. He says, go and warn your brothers of the judgment that is coming. There's an urgency to this mission that Jesus sends them out to. But the other event that he points us to is the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened around AD 10. Now, Matthew is thought to be written around AD 63, uh, 66 and 73. So Matthew could have written these words, thinking back about how Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed. And that as well was a sign of God's judgment on the Jewish people. And so he's imploring his audience to see that. Now what we see when you read especially the rest of the Bible is that this Jesus who has ascended, this Jesus who has empowered his people by his spirit, will come back. And when he comes back, he will not just come back as a king, but he will come back as a judge. And all who have not accepted him will stand in judgment and would have to give a reckon of their lives. So brothers and sisters, our, our urgency to this mission is the same. Our urgency to this mission is the same, for we do not know the day when Jesus will return. See, we cannot choose comfort, leisure, and safety when so many in the world have not yet come to believe in Jesus. When so many stand to perish because they have not yet jumped on this boat called Jesus. This boat that is able to accommodate all men who turn to him. This boat that does not have maximum capacity. This boat where you have sure safety that you are saved. So you and I should be seeing the urgency to this mission as we read these words. See, God has made a way for man to be saved. Will we join him in his mission to see others being saved, no matter the cost? I mean, there are times when you'd have to flee persecution. But this mission will come with discomfort and with danger. So will we join Jesus in this mission? See, in the end of chapter 9, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. They're few even today because we have chosen comfort and safety. Will we today say, God, I'm putting my hand up to Mamina. I'm putting my hand up. Our city midrant lives in great darkness and needs to be redeemed, needs to be brought to the light of the gospel. God, I want to be a follower who makes followers. Would we take up that call today? Now let me close with these words. If you have not yet come to know this Jesus, if you have not yet jumped on this boat, there's an offer that stands today. Jesus says, no matter what you have done, no matter where you've been, there's a way for you to be saved. There's a way for you to experience mercy. Will you today jump on this boat? So that you're not only saved from the impending judgment, but that you are brought into a relationship with Jesus and you also join him.
and his mission. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do thank you that you have saved us, that you have brought us to yourself, and you have made us to experience your mercy. Father, as we go out on this mission that you have sent us out to, I pray that we may see the great urgency of this mission, that there are many who live in darkness, and that here, Lord, you have given us ways to be able to navigate, to navigate the waters of discomfort and danger, to navigate the waters of persecution, so that we can be able to take this gospel to others. Lord, would you help us to be wise and watchful? Would you help us to be fearless and faithful as we do our best to plead with men to turn to you? We do continue to pray for uh, Enoch Mpianzi's family and many others who have been affected by the events of the past week. Lord, we pray that you are with that family and that you would give them great comfort. But Lord, we also pray that the school would come to give an account of what happened, that there will be justice that is done in that situation. And Father, we also pray for Christians all over the world who face persecution, Christians who do not have the same freedom we have today, that you would be with them, that you would have your hand upon them. And ultimately, Lord, we pray that we who have this freedom would use it for the sake of your kingdom. Bless our time for the rest of this evening. Would you even bless our meal that we are about to have together. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen.